you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev. He is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at 2nd and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Welcome to the Floods of Justice podcast, and thank you for joining us for part two of episode three, where we are in the middle of a discussion about capital punishment. Well, I looked up some statistics that kind of ties in with just... The, the idea of capital punishment around the world in, in different countries, in different religions, um, you know, and I think America views itself as such a civil, kind, Christian nation, yet the percentage of uh, death penalty executions in, in our country versus other countries in Christian, you know, a supposed Christian nation versus Islamic nations versus Hindu, Buddhist um, you know, and Shane Claiborne wrote in an op-ed and says 85% of executions in the past 40 years have taken place in the Bible Belt. So not just the United States, but in this area of the United States that is known as the Bible Belt, predominantly Christian areas. And he goes on to say, it does not take courage to say that slavery is wrong a generation after we have ended it. It takes courage to say that slavery is wrong when it is still legal and socially acceptable. So it is with the death. So it is with the death penalty. I believe we will look back at the death penalty a generation from now, just like we look back at slavery with horror and shame, wondering how we ever thought it was okay and how we used the Bible to justify it. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean he he's right, um, and he's not the only one who has said that. There have been other people who have basically traced um, the death penalty in the South, which is where it's carried out the most, uh, directly back to the lynchings. Uh, and so directly back to slavery, directly back to white supremacy. Um, that is, is no accident that in the part of the country that held on to slavery the longest, and then in the part of the country that, that lynched the most people is now the part of the country that executes the most people, uh, all in the name of Jesus, which is just, uh, um, which is baffling to me. Um, you know, I, I can understand it because I was part of it, you know, I, I mean, cause I, so I understand that mentality or, or, or how they use Scripture to justify it, uh, but yet I don't understand it of how, okay, if you really believe in Scripture uh, and you read Scripture as a whole, how you can uh, still be um, so animate, uh, you know, about, about the death penalty. When, you know, you can, to me, you can talk about it from a moral reason, from an economic reason, from a a social justice reason. I mean, there's different ways you can approach um, the death penalty. And thankfully, more people are. There's a Republicans, uh, conservative. There's a conservatives concerned about the death penalty organization, um, and most of them are Republicans. So there are there are people in the Republican Party who are trying to say we should not do this anymore, uh, but they're coming at it purely from an economic. Um, you know, there's a better way to spend taxpayer resources than uh, than this. Um, and so, and and then more and more of evangelical uh, associations are are coming out and and speaking out against this and say we should not practice this, and we especially should not practice this when we have the ability for justice to be done without taking another life. Which again, if you go back to Genesis nine six, 
right after the flood, if you believe um, in the conservative view of the flood, that basically it was Noah and his family got off the ark and that was it. Well, they really didn't have the capability to, to, to um, uh, if somebody was murdered, to remove them from society for a period of time. And, but now we do. You know, and so, okay, back then, this progressive revelation of God, that may have been the only way for justice to be done, but now we have so many other ways that we can, get, that we can have justice besides the taking of another life, which is going to create more victims. Um, because, again, you know, the, the, the person being executed Thursday has a family, um, and uh, he has people who love him. Um, and so now they will all be victims Again, it, it's his fault. I mean, you can place all the blame on him, but now you're creating more, more victims. You're not doing anything to reconcile and to heal um, society. You're just, you're just creating more and more victims um, as you continue this. Yeah. Well, I don't mean to, uh, to beat a dead horse on this. This is something I think I'm just trying to wrap my brain around. I, it resonates with me, this idea of a progressive revelation of God. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not leading this anywhere. I, I genuinely want to understand this. But do you think if, so if you look back to Old Testament and there is a, a progressive revelation of God that kind of culminates in the, the birth and life and ministry of Jesus and, and what he said there, um, does that progressive revelation continue through the New Testament, is, is there a chance that even as we moved further away in the New Testament that some people may have uh, not quite uh, understood what Jesus meant at the point? This, the same way we in, in a modern society here don't quite understand. And I, I don't mean that as a, it's not a trap or a trick. I, I genuinely want to know because, you know, there's, there's people that will, like you said, there were a few Versus there in the New Testament that they would use to defend the death penalty. And then there's New Testament um, after the uh, Jesus ministry that would be used to oppose the death penalty. So where does that progressive revelation stay on track? Where does it go off the beaten path? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I do. And, and let me um, take advantage of that maybe to say a few things. But Another passage of scripture that, that is used, and this is from the New Testament, and I just heard this um, Monday. I was in a meeting Monday where somebody asked me a question. There was a, a group of pastors, and somebody asked me a question about the death penalty, and I told them, and then the person right beside me took the other position, a pastor, and quoted this verse. And so, I mean, this, this comes up a lot, and it's Romans 13. Um, and I'm just going to read some of it to get to the point that I want to make. But in Romans 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, when Paul is writing this, the authority was a dictatorship, the Roman Empire. So it wasn't a representative republic like we live in. But basically the idea is God has given governments authorities to do things, basically. Um, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, against what God has instituted. And so some people say then, well, if you are rebelling against the government, you're rebelling against God. Now, that's really interesting. That means our country is not a Christian nation because we rebelled against the government. You know, we rebelled against the English government. But no, no, that's not what we mean. That's not what that means there. Uh, and so, no, no, we because elsewhere the Bible says it's better to obey God than man. 
but some people say, so you shouldn't be protesting, you shouldn't be doing anything because you're rebelling against God. And I think that's a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying here. Um, he will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. So the idea is as long as you're doing what's right, you're never going to get in trouble, which we know is not, not true. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Um, for he is God's servant to do good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And so that, that idea in that one verse that God has given the government the sword to take a life, people say then that justifies the government having capital punishment. But what's interesting is, that just applies to us in the United States. If you bring up the Revolutionary War and say, well, according to Romans 13, the Minutemen were wrong because they were, no, no, that's not what that means. Or you can bring up modern day, well, if God put governments into place, not only did he put the U.S. government into place, but he also put the government in Iran in, in place and the government in Iraq in place. And so who are we to intervene and tell them what they're doing is wrong when they um, execute people who convert to Christianity or when they execute uh, people who are caught in adultery. Uh, if that verse applies to our country, it applies to all countries. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, or we should have never got involved and stopped Hitler because apparently God put him in power because he puts all governments in power. So then the, uh, the interpretation of Romans 13, you start to have lots of problems with. Uh, when you look at it that way. And so, and really in context, you can build the case that what Paul was talking about there was, was paying your taxes. And I don't think anyone thinks that somebody should be executed because they don't pay their taxes. You know, but in context, that's kind of what he was, uh, uh, what he was getting at anyway uh, from that. And so I forgot where I was, <laughs> I was going with that. <laughs> oh, the idea of uh, looking at New Testament um, as progressive revelation <laughs> moving further away from from Jesus. Okay, yeah, I, I remember now. Yep. Yeah, so, um, so I think what you're asking is if if the if the story of God in the Bible, you know, it comes to um, fulfillment in Jesus Christ, but it's this progressive revelation, then is, is that still continuing today? And I think the answer is yes and no. Um, you know, my understanding of Scripture is that there's no new revelation, um, but yet I think there are new understandings of what was meant if that makes sense, as we learn more about the context, as we learn more about, um, about how things work, then I think, yeah. But, and, and, I, and if you look at Scripture and you look at Christianity as a whole, yes, because um, Christians held different views of different things you know, throughout time. They've been on both sides of the same coin oftentimes. You know, and, and there was a writer, I can't remember her name, who basically said that every 500 years the church takes the trash out which means that every 500 years there's significant change in what the churches believe and teach. And if you look through history of the church since the New Testament, it's been about every 500 years. You know, uh, the church started in around the 300 ADs, Constantine came into place. And so those couple hundred years changed the church drastically. Then another 500 years you had a reformation. Then another 500 years you had a reformation. And really right around the turn of the millennial would have been right at another 500 years. And there's significant change happening uh, in the church, and it's it's not a rereading of scripture as much as it's a a, a new understanding of what it. You no, know, we we may have misunderstood what God meant, uh, and so now we're 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 getting a better understanding. Um, so it's not necessarily new revelation as it is 
maybe a deeper understanding of what was already there. And there is a move then that says that if you read the, New Te- if you read the Old Testament that way, it takes a lot of the angry God out of the equation. In other words, based on the culture of the day, the people really thought they heard God say, kill all the women and children in that village. But maybe they were hearing God through their cultural lenses because that's what you did in warfare in that day. You would wipe out entire lenses. But they may not have necessarily been hearing what God actually meant. Now, that, now that opens up another can of worms about inspiration. But that's one way of, <clears throat> of reading Scripture, that, uh, that the Old Testament saints heard God, but they didn't hear him with the... They still heard him through their cultural lenses. And that comes, that comes into play in, in how the, the Old Testament is interpreted. And we do the same thing. And so a generation from now, like, like how in the world, I mean, I can look back now and think, well, how in the world can the founders of our country who own slaves yeah. write the Constitution that all men are created equal? Yeah. That makes no sense to me. You know, and it's wrong, and I don't ever want to justify that. But then they were reading things through their cultural lenses at the time. Um, and reading scripture, unfortunately, through their cultural lenses at the time. And, uh, and so you end up with that convoluted view. Um, whereas, you know, generations from now, like Shane said, we may look back and say, how could y'all have ever believed in the death penalty? But right now we're right in the middle of it and we can't really see it because our blinders are on. Um, and, you know, cause all of us are going to read scripture through our cultural lenses. And the hardest thing in the world to do is to try to read scripture and take yourself out of that situation and try to look at scripture from another cultural lens or just try to look at scripture without those blinders on and and that so i think that leads to new understandings of scripture but not new revelation of scripture right well i think it's it's interesting too <clears throat> if we're really to look at you know uh okay let's just look at the the, the concept of how do you deal with violent offenders um, within your society your your community and then you turn to the Bible, and in the history of the Bible, starting in the Israelite community where there was initially a, a self-rule uh, into a slave. They were slaves of the Egyptians, and I'm not a historian, so I'm walking through this, correct me wherever I'm wrong. Um, but you've, you've got a self-rule into a slave rule into members of the, you know, into a Roman-governed society, into the Christian world, on to now Christianity within... Uh, Constantine, Christianity within the Queen in England, to leaving to the United States, to Christianity in a republic and founders. They're all like drastically different uh, environments in which the will of God is supposedly supposed to be acted out. And then what does that mean in all of those very different time periods? That to me is kind of overwhelming to go, oh, okay, how do you, how do you interpret this? Because it's, it's apples and oranges. If you look at America in 2020 versus Israel uh, back with Moses or Noah, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah it is apples and oranges. But the, the, I think you have to hold on to a few things through all of that. I mean, like, like I want to hold on to that God's will is revealed in Scripture. I want to hold on to the fact that um, God's perfect will is revealed in Jesus Christ. I want to hold on to those kind of um, fundamentals that these things are not going to change. But, but yet at the same time know that, you know, God's word is active and alive, uh, which Hebrew says, like a double-edged sword. And so 
God's word has to have room to breathe. You can't, it's not a static document. It has to have room to breathe. And so I want to hold on to these truths, um, but yet also allow it to breathe and understand that my understanding of what the scripture says um, is, uh, is where the fault lies. Um, that, and so I have to allow my understanding to change. I can't get um, caught in, in that, that the way I read scripture is the only way to read scripture. I can't get caught in that my interpretation is the only interpretation. Um, I can believe that there's one interpretation, but, but that may not, like, like people sometimes ask me if I believe in absolute truth, and I say, yes, I, I believe in absolute truth. I just don't know if I know what it is. Yeah. You know? uh, and so theology is, um, is trying to figure that out. And it's worth, to me, it's worth your life trying to figure that out. What does the words of Jesus mean? But yet recognizing then that throughout history, as you have said, um, you know, we have come, um, goodness gracious, we have been all over the place. Um, you mentioned the, the Queen of England, which, again, based on Romans 13, um, at that time in history, the king and the queen were God-appointed. Now, they were some of the most evil people who've ever lived. But they were God appointments, so God saved the king, God saved the queen, uh, and so and so to this day, the queen of England uh, is because of the way the lineage falls. It could be the king, but right now it's the queen of England is the head of the Church of England. You know, that, I mean that's true to this day. Um, so it doesn't really matter anything else that you know whatever whatever the queen decides to say. Now the bishops and everybody else run the church more or less, but in its in its power structure, the queen of England is the head of the church. And it's like, well, where is that in Scripture? You know, and I was watching a video from another denomination this week uh, about another controversial topic, and they quoted from their Church of, of Discipline. Um, and and before they and before this presenter quoted, he said, "This comes directly from the Church of England." So I'm thinking, well, this denomination who doesn't have anything to do with the Church of England, I thought their discipline is still based on the Church of England. You know, and. Uh, um, and the Episcopal Church today is basically the, the U.S. version of the Church of England, but this was not even the Episcopal Church. Um, and so there's this power structure in the church that really came about from Constantine. I mean, that's when the popes and everybody started getting power. It was basically from Constantine. If anybody's really, really interested out there, read the history of Christianity around the Constantine period. So the 300s, the 350 ADs, give or take a few years on either side. And, and the church from that point on is far different than the church of the first 300 years. Far, far, far different, and uh, for good and bad uh, from that. So I don't know how to answer those questions about how how can the church be all over the place on these issues except to say that people are reading it through their cultural lenses of the day, and the, and the one constant that should remain is a belief that the Bible contains the will of God and that the will of God is, re, is revealed in Jesus Christ. Um, and hang on to those two truths and then um, pray for God's grace um, and give grace to others who... Who you know again for me, um, growing up in a conservative environment, one of the hardest things to do is is to let go of some of that and to give grace to other people who are Christians whose views are drastically different from mine, uh, and to realize I, I tell people because I can come across as dogmatic because I feel strongly about what I feel strongly about, but at the end of the day I try to remind myself, but I could be wrong, you know. So I feel strongly about capital punishment. I feel strongly about saying the totality of Scripture. Is uh, teaches against capital punishment, uh, but in, but at the end of the day, I want to remind myself. But I could be wrong, so I want to listen to other people and see what they're saying about it, and and uh, 
um, and not be overly dogmatic because it's not a salvation issue. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to my view of sexual orientation or when it comes to my view of marriage or when it comes to my view of, of capital punishment or you just throw it out there, I want to feel strongly about what I feel uh, and, and I want to believe that what I believe is based on the Word of God, uh, but yet at the end of the day, I want to remind myself, but I could be wrong. You know, there yeah. could be somebody else who could show me from Scripture and like, oh, that's what that meant all along. I just didn't see it. Yeah. Well, you know, this is, this is just my personal view on this, but, um, you know, in, in the context of the death penalty, you know, it, I've heard the analogy of just in general salvation of, well, you know, we could be wrong, but wouldn't you rather err on the side of believing God and the potential of, of spending eternity in heaven with him versus the opposite? And that's, you know, presented to the, the atheist argument of why should we believe in God? But in the death penalty, I, I kind of look at it similar just in, well, you know, if you're going to err on the side of anything, erring on the side of compassion, to me, sounds more on, mm-hmm. more on the heart of God. Like, if I'm going to have to stand before him at the end of my days and, and answer for this, is he going to be disappointed that I didn't exercise extreme punitive justice in my life? Or is he going to be more upset that I didn't exercise extreme compassion in my life? And again, maybe I'm being too easy on the issue or life, uh, and I don't, I don't mean to be wish-washy, but I... I, I genuinely just, I, I want to react the way God wants me to react, desires for us to react. And I, so I, I don't know. Yeah, that, what you're saying is we should always err on the side of grace. Yeah. All, you know, always err on the side of grace. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, not, that's how I feel. And it may say, yeah, that's wishy-washy, but it's like, no, no, I, I want to. I want to believe, and I want to study Scripture, and I want to learn the heart of God, uh, but knowing that I'm incapable of ever knowing it completely. Yeah. You know? well, I mean, if, I, th- I think if you're doing it right, it doesn't feel wish-washy, because it's actually really hard to stand in compassion in situations where the, the opposite side may be violently saying, you're wrong, you should be doing this, you blah, 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 and you're, you're standing against the flow, you're the salmon swimming up against the stream of the rest of society telling you, so... It's it's not an easy decision, and I know there you know there may be listeners out there that are struggling with this. They're like, I'm not sure how to feel, or I don't have a personal connection with it, or it's it's uncomfortable. This is this is conflict. This is a conversation I don't want to have, or we're not supposed to have, and uh, and I, this is a much bigger conversation than than we can hold in one pad podcast, which is why we probably split this one <laughs> into into two episodes, at least two. Yeah, at least two. And and moving forward, like you said, we'll we'll continue this discussion. There will be more opportunities for this, and opportunities to bring in guests and, and other viewpoints. Yeah, let, let me say this. Um, to me, when it, another aspect of looking at the death penalty, and maybe this is where we wrap it up, is it really what kind of society? What kind of society do we want to live in? Because one of the difficulties um, with arguing against the death penalty is, um, like, if I can talk to people about the death penalty and keep it at the theoretical level, like we're doing today, right. uh, then I think you make progress. But then when somebody brings up an individual person and their individual crime and how horrible it was, then all, that, all this other stuff kind of goes out the window. But this person raped and killed a child, you know, and then it's like... Yeah, they deserve it, you know. And uh, and what I want to say is, yeah, they deserve it, but 
as followers of Jesus, we're, to, we're even to show mercy in those situations. But as soon as, as, soon as people like, and this, this is what is difficult about the week, the weeks leading up to another execution, is that the newspapers will start doing stories of this person's crime and, uh, and how horrible it was. And then all of a sudden, you know, like in between executions, you can have a, a relatively civil dialogue about the death penalty. But then the weeks leading up, when the stories start coming out again about how horrible this person's crime was, all of a sudden everything goes out the window. Um, and, it, and, and you have to constantly call back to people, look, the question of the death penalty is, if you look at that on an individual basis, yeah. But what kind of society do we want to live in? What does it mean to follow Jesus in that society? What does it mean to pray, God's kingdom come, thy will be done on earth today uh, as it is in heaven? Um, and, uh, and, and so you know, do we want to be that type of society that is, uh, that is executing people? Now, some people, unfortunately, will say, yes, we want to be that society. Yeah. Uh, but, but I struggle with that attitude. As a follower of Jesus, it's like, no, I'm, I'm to be shaping... I'm to be shaping the society. I'm to be bringing the kingdom of God with me um, from that. And so, you know, when people start telling me about all these different things, I stop them and say, look, everybody on death row has been convicted of doing incredibly horrible things, incredibly horrible things. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean um, to try to live out his principles uh, in the here and now? And then people say, well, what if it was your daughter who was raped and killed? You know, and uh, I try to be honest and say, well, if it was my daughter that was raped and killed, I'd probably want that guy dead. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, that's that's human nature. I want I want that person dead, but I got to realize that that's vengeance. And what I would hope uh, is in that situation, another brother, or sister in Christ, would come to me and say, now, Kevin, you know that you know, we want justice to be done, but you can't let the bitterness grow in your heart. You know, so there's a reason why we don't let the victims decide what punishment should be. Because that, that emotional connection, man, I would want I, you know, I want to strangle that person myself, and and uh, you know all my scripture teaching goes out the windows if it's my child. Uh, but that's when I need somebody to come alongside me and say, "No, wait a minute, Kevin, this is not what the Bible teaches. This is not what Jesus would want. Let's help you deal with this. You know that forgiveness is going to be what has to come, or else it'll destroy your life as well uh, from that." And so. Uh, and so, and so that's what I try to do is, is try to keep it above. This is what the individual person did. Uh, to wait a minute, what does it mean to be a Christian in this society? How how can we see an, an injustice and and fight for it? And if there's another way for justice to be done besides taking of another life, then that's what we should advocate as followers of Jesus. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you look at <clears throat> what did they do, and in my thought, that's that's also just looking at one chapter in their book. Mm-hmm in their life story. And this is a whole other episode and topic just on, all right, what are the chapters that preceded that? What, what kinds of drug and alcohol abuse happened in the womb? What kinds of abuse and neglect happened in their developmental years of birth through five? What happened in their youth that, that made that put all the ingredients together for what other kind of income, what outcome could it have been? You know, if you do this to a human being for this amount of time, do you expect any other kind of reaction to it? Does it justify the 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 reaction? Does it does it blame the victims? No, not at all. But yeah. again, I think a lot of believers, and I'm you know I've done it in my own life. You hear them where they go, well, you know, but what they did is so much worse than what I do. Well, in the grand scheme of things, as believers, we all believe that we all deserve death, that we all fall short of the glory 
of God. And so the opportunity to exercise the same grace towards these men on death row, that the grace that is extended towards us from God, I think, I think is scriptural and well, well defended in that. So again, a much longer conversation. Um, but well, this is a, this is a good point to, to wrap up the discussion on capital punishment and the death penalty here today. Like we said, it's an, it's a much bigger conversation that will continue on in, in other episodes, but Right now, let's, let's bring things back into a practical application with our uh, Walk the Talk. And are there some, some things that we can do uh, to, to take action in our lives right now on this? Yeah, if you're here locally in Tennessee and, and uh, this gets aired in time on Thursday, the February 20th, which is the next execution, there will be a prayer vigil held out at Riverbend. If you go out there, just follow the signs that say protest, which is really odd. They call it a protest, but they'll direct you to... Um, where you're either for or against, and where you're against the death penalty, we'll have a prayer vigil that starts at 6, um, and we just hang around. This is horrible to say, but we have a prayer vigil, and then we just kind of stand in silence until we get word that the person is dead. Um, and then we'll, we have a closing prayer. Um, but if you can't make it then, in Tennessee, there's going to be another one in June, so there's going to be a, another prayer vigil. If you live in a state that has the death penalty, I am quite confident that on any uh, given execution, there are people who are holding prayer vigils. So you can find out in your lo- local community um, where a prayer vigil is uh, on the day of an execution and uh, and go there. Um, for us, the weekend of an execution, there'll be another March for Mercy. And uh, maybe we could do that in other states. If, if you want to uh, organize in another state, um, let me know. Um, send me an uh, email, kevin at franklincommunitychurch.org or, um, or Twitter uh, at Riggs underscore Kevin, and uh, maybe I can help you organize something like that. Um, and uh, also, if you go to this website, deathpenaltyaction.org, uh, there's some information on there about these postcards that have the prayer from the Tennessee inmates that are being mailed to um, Governor Lee. And you can order some of those postcards and then just uh, uh, mail them, send them out to your, your group of friends, and everybody sign them, and then just mail them to... to uh, uh, the governor of Tennessee asking him to go pray uh, with the guys on uh, on death row. And so those are some ways that you can get involved. Uh, if you are a reader, um, then uh, two books, there's more, but just these two books, Executing Grace uh, by Shane Claiborne, and then uh, is a good book, gives a, a great overview. But then if you really want to get deep into this, uh, there's a book by Dale S. Rincinella, um, R-E-C-I-N-E-L-L-A. But the title of the book is the biblical truth about America's death penalty. Uh, now he's a lawyer, and this book can get really, really deep at times. But it's an excellent book, um, and uh, it gives a, just goes into great detail about the death penalty in the United States, the biblical truth about America's death penalty. And uh, then there's um, ten- other websites: TennesseeDeathPenalty.org, uh, Conservative Concerned About the Death Penalty, ConservativesConcerned.org deathpenaltyaction.org, and as always, floodsofjustice.com. Uh, but those are just some uh, places where you can get some more information and, and find some helpful uh, resources uh, when it comes to the, death, to the death penalty and fighting against it. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's bring this episode to a close with a really beautiful prayer by uh, Pastor Kevin Burns uh, at Riverbend Maximum Security Prison that he shared with you. Why don't you go ahead and, and share that with our listeners as we... And this episode of Floods of Justice. 
Yeah, this is called A Prayer from Death Row, and uh, uh, Pastor Kevin Burns, who is on Death Row in Tennessee, and uh, here's, here's his prayer. O oh Lord God, even the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, Lord God, you are holy and righteous, gracious and altogether true. Your mercies are everlasting, and they are renewed every morning. O oh Lord God, unto thee do I lift up my soul, and unto thee do I cry in despair. Have mercy on me, Lord, I pray, and deliver me. Deliver me from those who are too strong for me, and deliver me from certain death. You said in your word that you looked down from the height of your sanctuary. From heaven you beheld the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoners, to loose those that are appointed to death. Behold, I am in prison, and they have appointed my soul for death. But unto you, O Lord my God, do I make my appeal. For you are that God that took me from my mother's bosom and declared your love for me and made your covenant with me and told me that you will never leave me nor forsake me, but that you will be with me always, even until the end of the world, and cause me to hope in you. And now, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Let me not be brought to shame. Neither let any that trust in your holy name be brought to shame. But bring me out of this prison swiftly, I pray, and deliver me by a strong hand, O lover of my soul. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.